Hello, RP people. Before I get started, I just wanted to say thank you to Free League. Uh, you've been absolutely fantastic. And to commemorate this fantastic moment of me and Nils joining together for one episode, uh, we've decided to run a one-shot of Free League. Now, what product we're using? Well, that's up to you guys. So hop onto our Discord. The link will be in the description below. And pick which Free League product you'd want. We have a poll going until the November 21st. Hello RP people and welcome back to another episode of Role Playing as Smart People and the series I like to call One on One with Santa. Yeah. Joining me today, I have Nils Carlin from Free League Publishing. Hello. Hello, nice to be here. Calling oh. from Stockholm. Oh, quite a distance away for that. Uh, <laughs> but I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm very glad you can uh, be here. Uh, so for... Anyone who's not familiar with uh, you, Nils, would you be able to tell us a little bit about how you got into the tabletop hobby, hobby to begin with? Sure. Um, I mean, for me, it started with my dad back in the early 80s, and he uh, he uh, used to buy these Avalon Hill uh, Hex Encounter war games. And uh, one day he came home, I think it was Christmas 82, with a blue box, uh, which was called Drakerok Dumoner which is basically the, the D&D of Sweden. Um, it's a different game, but it's, uh, it's kind of similar. And uh, we tried it. I was five years old, and I was basically instantly hooked. And since I was a kid, I've been playing RPGs and other games for the rest of my life. And now I work with them full time. So it's kind of gone full circle. So I, thanks, Dad. Oh, that <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome. Is that that... um. You re recently released an art, another RPG, and I remember reading that it is like your traditional D and D. Was it pretty much? Yes, yes, it is that one. Uh, we actually we bought uh, we bought the brand a year ago, so now we own. Uh, it's called uh, Drakkar Oktemoner in Swedish, or Dragon Bane is the is our translation of it because we couldn't obviously we couldn't have uh, you know uh, names similar to Dungeons and Dragons that would be foolish. <laughs> Oh yeah, uh, <laughs> but yeah. So we're making we're making that game now and trying to modernize this old Swedish classic and also yeah. bring it uh, to the international scene. Yeah, I remember. I remember looking at the at the page for that, and that had I remember a really beautiful kind of green hue to the art, and I really liked that art cell that you had in that. Yeah, and that kind of uh, the the green hue actually goes back to the cover of the the second uh, RPG edition that came out in '84, and that cover was the the famous Elric cover by Michael Whelan. I'm not sure if you've seen it, with Elric of Neldebone having his black sword against a green sky. Oh, that's so awesome. that's kind of yeah. So that was the iconic uh, Drucker of the Mourner cover from the '80s. So. This our new green kind of tone of the game is just a callback to that image, basically. Oh, I I love that. I love when you when people take like homage of the old art and put it into the new. I I, I find yeah. it just yeah. so beautiful looking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so I know you're currently working on a well, you have a Kickstarter out right now called Mutant Z a Year Zero Zone Wars. Uh, as a war gamer That's myself, right. uh, especially since I saw the name Andy Chambers, I was extremely excited to see that. Uh, and the fact that it's running actually Mutant Year Zero, which is 
an amazing well it, it is an amazing game and it has a setting that really kind of differentiates itself from a lot of different mutant game like you know mutant yeah, based yeah. games um yeah but for the audience who might not know about the setting would you be able to mm -hmm. uh talk a little bit about it sure actually it kind of ties back into the story i told about uh Drucker of the morning because in the 80s uh it was called in swedish mutant or mutant of course uh, that was the second game. That was a, like a, the sister game of Drucker of the Moner. So it started out as kind of uh, in a game inspired by Gamma World, but with a different uh, Nordic twist to it. Um, and it was written by the same authors that later on went on to write the horror game Cult. Um, and the, the kind of the setting is, it's in the original game, it's set in Scandinavia, after the apocalypse. And it's this kind of pre-industrial society where you have mutated animals, you have uh, psionic mutants, you have robots and lots of strange phenomena uh, kind of competing for power in the zone and discovering old artifacts uh, and you're know, discovering the ruins of the old society. So uh, that was kind of the classic uh, mutant. And what we did uh, in 2014 was we rebooted it and called it Mutant Year Zero. And uh, we actually took the timeline some ways back. So it was a bit more raw, a bit more post-apocalyptic. Um, and that's uh, a setting we've been exploring in a bunch of uh, different books. Um, we've been exploring uh, the mutated animals, uh, the robots, the frozen humans, and so on. Um, and kind of built this setting from these pieces. And it's, uh, I would describe it as probably a mix of very dark post-apocalypse mixed with humorous, you know, anthropomorphic um, strangeness. Uh, so it's not a one-note game. It's not grimdark. It has a lot of humor in it, but it's also uh, very, kind of brutal. Uh, but lo lots of... Um, Lots of uh, strange uh, wackiness. And that's actually why we, we thought it was a good fit for a war game uh, because of that. Because it had this humor and it had this kind of brutality to it, which I think uh, fits quite well around the, you know, a tabletop. Yeah, no, that that's definitely true. And I don't think there's enough. I, I'm trying to think if there's any that really focus on mutants for skirmish games, and I can't really think of any. It's um, not. No, know. it's not that many. I think it's a, a few small ones, but I mean, it's uh, no, not that no. I know of, at least. Yeah, it was. I, I was trying to do some research ahead of time just to try and figure out was Mutant Year Zero your Free League's first RPG? Uh, in English, yeah, it was oh, our okay. uh, it was our international debut. But we actually did a game, actually two games in Swedish before that. But Mutant was our first game we, uh, you know, we translated. And that was together with Modifius, the, the UK-based sure. publisher. So, uh, yeah, it's kind of our, our first game in that sense. Okay. And yeah, because yeah. I, was, I was thinking, I was like, it's kind of interesting. And I was wondering, because that was my uh, impression that it was the first one. Now I know it's in English. But did you almost plan it to have your first real skirmish game be the same as your first international RPG? Was that was I, that planned? That, <laughs> no, that was actually a t total coincidence. I haven't even thought about it <laughs> until you said it now. But I mean, it, it makes sense, I guess. It's kind of uh, full circle. 
yeah. I think what we looked at was we liked kind of the balance of, um, you know, you have some kind of humor in there and you have the darkness. So it has both things. We have, we have other IPs, but mo- some of them are more like, you know, for example, Simba Room is a game we have. It's very dark. It's very moody. And that's super cool. But we wanted to have this lightness as well in this mm-hmm. board game. So um, I think that's why. Also, I mean, it's cool to have miniatures of mutated rabbits and pigs and so on. Yeah, I saw the duck and I was thinking of the 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 video game that was released on Mutant Year Zero. And I was like, oh, my God, I think that's the same duck. And the Yeah, the- it is. It is. Yeah. Oh yeah, I, we, I gotta we, say. We, oh, go ahead. We, no, it worked a little bit with the video game. Uh, it wasn't we that did it, of course, but we wrote some lore and so on. And then we got to use their kind of the models for the game, and we thought uh, that ducks, the the duck and the the boar, Bormin, uh, we, we thought it was cool, so we wanted to integrate them into this game. So yeah, it's the same duck. Okay, yeah, I gotta say the 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 models that i've seen they look really really nice like i i i I was reading some of the comments and a lot of people wanted those models they just look absolutely beautiful uh yeah we we were very happy with them actually i mean we we worked with two sculptors uh that uh we haven't worked with before but i think they really uh they really brought them to life. I mean, we gave them some kind of general uh, instructions of what kind of vibe we wanted, but they created them from scratch. So I think it's great work from from the sculptors. Oh yeah, absolutely amazing. So what made you um what made you guys decide to get into the war game skirmish game market? Was it uh, just an urge that you wanted to fill, or yeah, basically, uh, it, I think it was curiosity uh we're obviously tabletop role-playing games uh, gamers mm-hmm. first and foremost and publishers but a few years back we started to um, kind of explore skirmish games you know personally uh, me and some other guys are working and for me i've never been a big uh, tabletop uh, war gamer in my life really i've been much more casual but we discovered there's a really we tried a lot of different games and we uh, and we discovered that there's so much fun to be had with this kind of emergent narrative that skirmish games are great at creating. That's kind of related to RPGs, even though it's totally different. Uh, so we thought it would be fun to explore that and maybe kind of see what kind of crossover potential we could find with traditional RPGs. Uh, so we wanted to try and make a narrative or a tabletop skirmish game that's big on narrative. And uh, it's really creating these emergent stories at the table um, that create these kind of, you know, laugh out loud moments and uh, cinematic um, action pieces. So, so it was, uh, we wanted to try to do that and try also to make a game. I wanted to make a game that we couldn't find out, out uh, you know, in the market, which didn't require you to be a hobbyist from the beginning. Oh. So, you know, lo- lots of games, if if you play uh, GV or Infinity or whatever, they're great games often, but mm. they require you to, you know, uh, collect, paint, uh, build terrain, uh, you know, build lists, which is a great thing to do. It's a great, uh, you know, part of the hobby. But we wanted to make a game that kind of takes the fun and makes it more accessible. Uh, oh, so that's okay. why we have uh, one uh, one piece miniatures. We have them sun dropped. 
Uh, we want to have terrain in the box. We have, uh, you know, a game mat. Uh, everything needed to play uh, in the box. So it's kind of, uh, that's that was a vision with the game as well. Oh, that, that that's actually, that's interesting because even um, when I was looking at your Kickstarter, for one thing, it's really, really reasonably priced. Um, was your intention to actually try and draw in people who regu- who normally wouldn't have um yeah went for a yeah. i mean yeah kind of i mean it's always a balance because making these kind of games are really expensive of course oh. and especially with plastics but um we we want to i mean and kickstarter is the first part but we also wanted to make a game that could you know be uh be reasonably priced in retail later on because I see loads of these uh, Kickstarter games that are, are really, you know, filled to the brim with cool stuff with plastics, and then they get to retail, and it costs like 150 bucks to buy. <laughs> and it's kind of like, who has that kind of money to buy for a game? It's 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 not um, accessible. So that's why we, uh, we we're trying to do something that's a little bit more easy to just buy a box and you know play with your nephews or whatever, uh, or bring out on I don't know Christmas Eve. Um, maybe not Christmas. It's too complicated, but, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so, so it, it's accessibility has always been like the, one of the main goals of all the games we make, actually, uh, we mm. try to make them not too rules heavy, not too, you know, prep heavy. Uh, so it, trying to do that with this game as well without losing, you know, it shouldn't be dumbed down. It should still have some, you know, good core design and, and good, uh, uh, you, know, you should have good of lot, lots of decisions to make when you play. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. Um, I also noticed while I was reading the rules that it seems like you're you're embracing the random, which is something that a lot of war games try and mitigate to some extent. Was this yeah. part of the design philosophy? It was, yeah. Actually, uh, we wanted to kind of embrace uh, as it's. We wanted to capture the tone of Mutant Year Zero, and in Mutant Year Zero, you have these strange mutations, uh, you have these strange phenomena that, that pops up in the zone, and we wanted to kind of embrace the chaos a little bit, uh, and not work towards a game that is like 100% balanced in every way, but instead uh, create a game that creates really good narrative and fun moments. Without losing, you know, it shouldn't be totally unbalanced as well. But that wasn't the prime design goal. The, the prime design goal was a game that tells good stories and, you know, you laugh when you play. Um, so, yes, we, we kind of uh, chose to, in certain parts, to embrace the chaos. But then again, in the, we, we play tested this a lot. And, I mean, sometimes it gets too much chaotic. So we had to tune down certain parts. Um, so it's, it's a balance. But, yeah. Was it was it hard to find that balance, or did it kind of just come naturally while you were uh, playtesting? Uh, it kind of came naturally. I mean, you, you know, we we playtested a bunch of the variations that kind of broke down when we when we uh, uh, you know tried some uh, implementations of rules and cards, and it was pretty easy to see what worked and what didn't work. Uh, you know, when you when you play it instead of writing it. So mm-hmm. yeah, it was pretty easy. Um, it's always, I mean, a game that builds, as we use cards quite a lot in this game, you have these zone cards and you have mutations. You can 
uh, you can use and you find artifacts, uh, which can be like, it can be a plasma cannon, but it could also be like a broken bicycle. Um, <laughs> it's, it's kind of, uh, so, so you have these, these cars bring the narrative to the game, but they also bring the element of chaos. So, so the, um, the, yeah. That's hilarious. Like, honestly, I was not expecting you to see a broken bicycle no, it, there. No, it's, that, that's actually a, a, a big part of the game experience because you're, uh, in most uh, scenarios, you're fighting over these artifacts. That's kind of the, the scenario points. But yeah. you don't know what they are until you, you know, run up to them and investigate them. So you could be fighting over a, a thing, and then you go, when you find it, you're really happy, and you find a vacuum cleaner. Uh, <laughs> and, and you could either, uh, and all of these artifacts have like a victory point um, total. Mm -hmm. So, for example, a vacuum cleaner may be worth, uh, uh, may be worth like one point, uh, and you, it's not that much, but if you find, for example, um, you know, uh, automatic carbine or something, it's worth a lot. Um, and these, the better ones, if you use them, they can also break. So there's always like, a, you have to make a choice if, is, do I want to use this powerful weapon and potentially lose my victory point, or should I just like hold on to it? So the whole game around the, the artifacts and the victory points is, Partly about finding cool stuff, but also partly about finding crap stuff and you know, <laughs> throwing the crap stuff at the enemy. <laughs> which you, you can do, by the way. You can you can throw stuff which you find. Oh, that's awesome! I've always wondered why mm -hmm. more more uh, more games haven't really taken uh, the vet like taken that and using like I'm trying to think of how to word this right now. Uh, really. <laughs> taking like the terrain and the objects on the ground and figure out a way how to use that, like through throwing things, hitting people with rocks. Yeah. I, yeah, that, yeah. That sounds, that sounds, uh, I, that, that but that's another, that, that's another way to bring like narrative to the game. It's, it's just not like a, it's not a victory point. It's not like a, uh, objective. It's something more. It, it is an actual, uh, thing you want, but you don't know what it is. And you also get this kind of humor, where where you you don't know it until you investigate it. So you could be fighting over worthless things, and you could have another player finding you know a real treasure uh, around the corner. So this is an uncertainty uh, in it, but you still know it's worth something. So they're they're not worth anything. I mean yeah. zero. And that that's a that's a really smart way to actually do it because a lot of uh, war games, I find a lot of people are either worried about two things: is the cost or they don't really want to learn the tactics and watch YouTube videos on learning how to play this game and how to be competitive. And this, it sounds like you're mm. winning is not necessarily the end goal. It's really just telling the story. And I think that's a really smart move to differentiate yourself from a lot of games. Yeah. I mean, you obviously you want to win as well. So it's not the game you play to lose, but yes, I, I would say it's, it's fun. It's a game where you still, can have quite a lot of fun, even though your your little squad is annihilated by some sand, you know sand eating uh, worm or something. <laughs> so uh, stuff happens, but but it's um, I, it's a balance of making. We don't want to have the you know the chance element to totally screw over the players. You don't mm -hmm. want to draw a card and it says you're dead. That I means that's super boring. So uh, we want to try to balance that with what's fun for the player as well. Oh, that's awesome! Is there um, is there any mechanics in the game that you're especially proud of? I think um, 
well, two things actually. I think first of all that it's designed uh, for multiplayer uh, action at the start. That's actually one thing when we played we we played a lot of games the last years. Uh, most skirmish games are built for two players uh, for obvious reasons, you know, balance reasons being one, but also uh, it's much easier to write scenarios and so on. But we found when we played that we had more fun when we played three or four players, uh, even though the game wasn't balanced for that. So when we uh, set out to make this game, we had that as, as a design goal to make this like being able to play multiplayer from the start. So you could have this, like, for example, if you're, if you're four people and you're, you're about to play, I don't know, D&D or something, and, or five people and someone doesn't turn up, you could just break this out and play instead. Um, so it's a bit more uh, viable as a party game uh, in that sense. So I like the multiplayer aspect. It still it works uh, great at two players as well, but you can play three or four. But I think game mechanics-wise, I think the initiative system is probably, uh, I think, the most interesting part. And that's uh, Andy's and Chambers' invention, which is, well, maybe not invention. It's it's <laughs> similar systems are found in a lot of games, but it's a shit pool uh, system. Mm-hmm. Uh, where you have this bag full of um, tokens, and you have. Uh, a token for a single character, which is named. So you have like named tokens for every character in the game. Um, and then you have some zone threat tokens, which you, you put in the bag. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you just, you know, uh, shake around and pull one out. And that's the initiative. But there's some more st- layers to this because you can, you can manipulate uh, the initiative by uh, choosing to be in Overwatch instead. Uh, you have some mutations that can ma- manipulate a bag and so on. But in effect, I think this what it makes is, is a game that's really quick playing. Uh, it keeps you kind of um, in the loop all the time. You're constantly kind of engaged because the initiative bounces back and forth. Um, I find some games where you have this I go, you go, and you move like I move my 10 dudes, you move your 10 dudes. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially in multiplayer, it takes too long time for every single player, so you kind of zone out. So this system keeps everyone engaged and keeps the pace quick. Oh. Uh, I think it, it really sings in, um, in play, uh, actually. So I would say the initiative system, yeah. Oh, that that sounds really good. I always love a unique uh, initiative system, and I agree with you. Um, As someone who's tried to play uh, Warhammer 40k with three people, it... um, (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) No, no, no. I mean, it it has its place in some games. I think it sometimes is not necessarily bad. I go, you go, but but I think it's all depending on what kind of game experience you want to kind of Mm -hmm. focus on. No, and I I think for the style game, it definitely is a perfect uh, marriage. Like, for one, like I I can't think of really any multiplayer skirmish games that are actually meant to be played with more than two people. So that'll yeah be- yeah exactly. And I find it strange because there's lots of people that that play skirmish games uh, multiplayer, but they play you know in conventions people play up to ten players and so on. Um, but most often small hobby rules. And I think it's a very fun and social way to game. So I think the more the merrier almost. Yeah, no, I agree. Although 
Oh, go ahead. We kept our game to four players, but <laughs> <laughs> there's there's nothing saying that you can't add some more people. <laughs> oh no, no, you, you probably can. You... Yeah. Um. Uh. So for anyone who is more of an experienced war gamer, what mm-hmm. would you say? to bring them into the fold of playing, especially if they've never really played any RPGs, what would entice them to come and play? I think, uh, first of all, there's an interesting, uh, you know, cross uh, crossover with the RPG. So there, the setting is, you know, uh, full of depth and you could always, uh, you know, there are lots of stuff going on. There's a meta plot going on, even in this game that we continue kind of the story from the RPG uh, in the campaign in this uh, game, so there's lots of you know world building that could be interesting for someone coming from a more like you know rules based perspective. Um, I think mostly, I think if you want to have a, you know a, a quick playing uh, multiplayer or two playing game where you have a small model count and you have uh, lots of narrative, I think that's why you should go for this game. I mean, it's it's a game. Uh, where you create stories instead of a game where you kind of, you know, build lists and try to um, outsmart your opponent, which you, of course, do in this game as well. Uh, you know, you don't build lists, but you you, um, yeah, you try to win and you have tactics and so on. But I would say the narrative element and the world building is probably the two things that might stand apart from some of the competition. Oh, nice. Um, and it sounds like, like especially since it's based off the muting your zero rules, um, would you say, like, how long would you say a normal game would actually take to play? Uh, it's dependent on, uh, you, can, you can switch around some parameters, but I think a two-play game, uh, it's like 45 minutes, an hour maybe. Uh, if you play a full four-play game, uh, it could be between one and a half, maybe two hours tops. Um, might go quicker than that. Um, it's very dependent on, I mean, how quick the players are and so on. But it's pretty quick moving when you, once you get started uh, in it. Um, and, you know, when, when you play four players, you often, most often play with like three, uh, three dudes per, per team. So it's, um, it's not that many. It's just 12 miniatures on the board then. So it's pretty quick playing in that sense. Mm-hmm. You can, of course, play with more figures, but then then, you know, the playtime increases. <laughs> you could turn it into a war Obviously. game and have 20 miniatures each. Well, you but... could, you could. But... <laughs> <laughs> but that's actually another thing that might, it's a different, different from a lot of other uh, skirmish games as well, because we wanted to avoid any kind of bookkeeping. So mm-hmm. you don't have, you don't have any, you know, uh, roosters, you don't have a pen, you don't, you don't write down what kind of weapon they have. Everything is on the table. So you have cards uh, everything is kind of tangible. So your your little dude has mutations and you know, has equipment, and those equipment is cards you actually put by that in the character sheet. So you you have like a total visual representation of what they're carrying around and so on, uh, without having to you know look at the uh, paper and so on. So that's it's uh, more board gamey maybe in that sense um, than you know for example Frostgrave or something like that where you yeah. have I love I love Frostgrave, but I mean it's it's much more that's much more uh, classic in that you have your you know a few sheets of paper and yeah I've I've played a few of that one too and it, you do end up having to do list building for sure in that one 
Uh, yeah. So so that's why I think uh, I think our game is is a good way to play. Um, it's, it could be a potential good gateway drug. I mean, to play with people that you want to uh, <laughs> play uh, war games with, and they're not maybe they're a bit scared away. You could potentially uh, use Zone Wars because you have these, you know, yeah, these cute animals. You have these uh, colorful cards. So we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, that it, it honestly it it sounds like a lot of fun, and I find a lot of games take themselves too seriously. And I like yeah. that you can tell that this was meant to be more of a lighthearted, fun kind of gameplay. Um, so I gotta, I gotta ask because you you have Andy Chambers on your team for this, and that is to anyone in really the role playing sphere, most people know about Andy Chambers. What was it like to work with him? Uh, yeah, that was it. Was great actually, and we actually. Uh, we we contacted him because we played a recent game of his, Strontium Dog, uh, which was released by Warlord, I think, five years ago or something like that. Mm-hmm. And when we played that game, we were like, oh, yes, this is close to what we want to do. Uh, because this is this game, our game, has a lot of DNA in common with uh, Strontium Dogs. You have cards, you have similar initiative systems. It's not identical. Um, and you have this, you know, an almost cinematic uh, action sequences. So we played a game. We loved it. And, uh, I mean, we played Andy's designs before, of course. He's, you know, he's done so much. Necromanda, of course. Yeah, of course. Um, uh, and lots of other stuff. So we just reached out to him, and he was, uh, you know, he was really interested. And uh, when we kind of gave him our pitch of what we wanted to do, he was totally on board with that. And he kind of, he really uh, liked uh, to work with this, world and try to bring out the kind of the atmosphere of the world in the mechanics um so um yeah so it's been it's been a really good uh we mean we, we were creating uh, he started working on this game i think a few years back and then we um uh and then we you know he sent out some drafts we play tested it we had some comments back and forth and this was during the pandemic um so it's been it's been pretty smooth sailing, I would say, um, to work with him. He's been great to work with, and you know his experience designing this kind of stuff has been invaluable for us as well. Because you know we're kind of we're kind of newbies on this area, uh, so yeah, it's been really good to work with him, and uh, hope to do it again sometime. Oh, that's that's absolutely awesome. So I have a couple questions for still for the RPG, but I also have some questions just for yourself. Uh, but sure. so while we're, while I was talking with my co-hosts and all that, um, they, they had some questions themselves. Uh, for one, what is it like starting up an RPG company that eventually like you're almost a household name in the RPG scene? Like how was, what was that? It's surreal. <laughs> it's super strange. It's it's. Uh, I mean, it's it's so strange because like just five years ago, we were like, you know, we we sat like in a basement and we <laughs> had other other jobs. You know, we took all our free time to work on this, and we're like, we hoped like one day, maybe, maybe, maybe not five years, six years ago, we said we we hoped that maybe we could, you know, work with this full time, maybe in like ten years. Uh, just a few years later, and it's 
you know, we have moved into a new office. Uh, it's going very well. Um, I don't know. It's it's um, it's strange. And it's very <laughs> it's very fun. It's also uh, um, it's been a journey. We, we've done this for ten years. Yeah, and um, started out as fans to another company. So we kind of were freelancers that started to write fan stuff. And oh, that company nice. kind of folded, so they asked us to take over a few games just as fans. So that's why we started Freely. Um, oh, nice. Yeah, so Free, the, the name Freely is actually, uh, I'm not sure if you uh, read Coriolis, the Coriolis game. Uh, it's one of our science fiction games. Mm-hmm. Uh, Free League is one of the factions in the game. Uh, so we took that name because we were fans of the original edition of that, of that uh, game. Uh, now, when we own the game and make the game, it looks pretty stupid because we're calling ourselves <laughs> as the faction <laughs> in the game. <laughs> but what can you do? It's too late to change. Yeah. No, but like, I, I got. Would you. If you had any advice to anyone who really wants to try and get into the the gaming industry, either they have an idea that they want to try and make, what would be yeah. your advice to them? Sure. I have one, I think the most important advice I would say, and that was goes uh, for me too. And that was, uh, don't do it alone. Uh, team up with other people, team up with some other uh, smart persons and together you'll be so much stronger and you could do so so much cool stuff uh lots of we were four people that that uh, founded free league and we have you know tried other stuff before on Mm -hmm. our separate um uh well parts but when we joined up and kind of found that synergy um i mean it was so much more powerful and i see lots of people freelancers i see game designers uh, and you know a lot of them are really, really good. So uh, some prefer to work totally alone, and that's fine. But I would say that a mistake some people do is just sit at home by yourself and write on your kind of dream project for several years um, and just kind of think that an idea or like uh, is enough. You need more than that. You need to kind of, um, you need other people's expertise, I would say. So mm-hmm. team up. Uh, use the collective force of of people. That that's the number one tip I would say. That that is definitely a, a good tip. As someone who's worked mostly independently on his own, just come up with ideas before scrapping them. That is really good advice, even for myself. Like, thank you. Very yeah, much. that's that's very helpful. <laughs> no, but it's a, for me personally. I mean, uh, uh, it was it was a surprise for me because I tried lots of different stuff in related you know, uh, wrote stuff and so on. And anyway, it went okay, but it didn't really take off anywhere. So it's just, um, it just makes it much more powerful. But then again, it's not easy as well. You need to find the right group. You need to find, you know, like-minded people. Um, mm-hmm. But I think that's a good start. I think another tip I would say advice is to probably um, Find something you like, a game or, or a game or a setting or something. Write for it, and you know, become knowledgeable about it. Uh, if if you want to kind of get noticed in the business, because you can start uh, writing content. I mean, a lot of our freelancers are people that started out as fans. Yeah, so, uh, and we started out as fans to the old company, the folded. So I mean. 
starting out as having this like as enjoyment and something you dream about and something you just love doing is often a good way to become more professional about it later on. No, that's um that that that's very true. And thank you very much. Uh for actually I got one that I think uh if my one of my co hosts Scott, if I didn't ask, he might be a little upset. Mm. How did you you guys got <laughs> so many big ips how did you like you got what was it alien uh the one ring how yeah how, how did uh, you guys grab those so it seemed like almost effortlessly i'm sure it wasn't but it, those are it is actually ones. a bit of a i can tell you the story it's it's a bit of um it was a bit of a fluke uh it was a bit of planning and a bit of a fluke we we actually had a meeting like four years ago i think it was where we uh, at, at the restaurant and we made like a list like what what's the three ips we would like to work with because back then we were kind of looking for to work with a new you know an established ip mm-hmm. and we made a list um and at the top of that list was alien and the second place was blade runner um and we were like yeah but that's not never gonna happen <laughs> it was a cool, cool thing to do but then like one week after uh, my colleague he just uh, met a friend of his uh, or ex-colleague of his that um, told him that he knew a, a guy in Hollywood who works as an agent uh, and wanted to kind of uh, uh, come in contact with us. Oh. This was because because we had made uh, Tales from the Loop, the one Ennis back in 2017, I think it was. Um, so uh, my colleague uh, had a meeting with this guy, uh, Joe it's called and um, since then we've been working with him and he's been really good at you know negotiating this and having this uh, you know his contacts and everything so it was a, it was a combination of we had this kind of goal we did and then just a total random chance meeting uh, where, we, <laughs> where we met this guy who knew this guy who was the total right person for us so that's what well, that's definitely, um, as you said earlier in the podcast, embracing the chaos, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I mean, it's it's a lot about, and that goes for our company as well. It's a lot about timing. And I mean, of course, skill, That's you need to have that. But it's a lot about timing and, um, you know, being at the right, pl- right place at the right time. For us, yeah. it was a matter of timing, you know, the Kickstarter boom, which started for like, you know, six, seven years ago. Yeah. Uh, and that uh, really opened up the TTRPG space internationally. Oh, um, it definitely did. So, I mean, uh, have we started the company maybe 2005? I'm not sure at all. It, it, I think it wouldn't have gone as well. Yeah. It, you, you, you capitalize on the perfect timing. like. Yeah. And, and that was kind of random. I mean, it's just, it was there and we tried it. Uh, it was a grand plan, really. Well, well, the stars are definitely aligned for uh, that. Um, So just because I know you, you have another meeting right after this, you're, you're very, very busy. (laughs) Um, If anyone wanted to either look at any of your guys's work or wanted to contact you in any, any way, how would they be able to do so? Uh, well, obviously our website, freeleaguepublishing.com is where we have, uh, you know, uh, our games and stuff. And, uh, but we also have a website, um, no, sorry, our Facebook page, Instagram and Twitter, uh, free league publishing on all these places. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can also find me on Facebook, uh, Nils Carlin. Um, 
on uh, which is my personal account. Um, but uh, we can always shoot an email to to Free League. Um, uh, we read everything we get. We try to answer anything. Everything. I'm not sure we always succeed with that. We get lots of emails. <laughs> but otherwise, I, I would say the best way to talk to people in the business is actually to go to like a convention mm-hmm. and you know talk to people because we go there. And that's where we, you know, really talk to people playing the games uh, and meet freelancers and so on. Oh, so, yeah. you know, Gen Con, uh, PAX, and so on. And there's me in Canada in the middle. There's nothing for yeah. me here. <laughs> we, 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 actually, we actually had a, we had a small team in, uh, I think it was Shut Up and Sit Down in, I think it was Vancouver. Uh, oh, nice. Recently. Yeah, yeah. So we, but uh, that was... Um, people from the u.s so i think yeah yeah oh that's awesome and if anyone's curious mm. about the kickstarter or free or free league's website it will be in the description of this episode that's for sure um i'd like to thank you so much Nils, for hopping on to the, uh with me um i'm glad that you decided hey i'm gonna do this dumb jingle with me sad, <laughs> <I'm> like... <laughs> yeah but i mean uh thanks for having me and it was it's fun chatting uh Fun chatting with someone in Canada as well, you know, modern <laughs> technology and everything. Oh, I know it's it's amazing what you can do over the internet nowadays, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And <laughs> uh, to anyone, if you want to either contact me, you can contact me at rpsmartpeople at gmail dot com. Uh, if you hated this episode for some odd reason, you can always tweet at me at Twitter at rpsmartpeople, and you can also hop into our Discord to chat about this uh, about you know muting your zero because i'm starting to get more and more obsessed about it as i talk to you else <laughs> and on <laughs> that's that, great yeah <laughs> backed uh and on that note have a great day and see you guys next week Bye bye <laughs>